Welcome to Thinking Bros. I'm Chris. And I'm Alex. We're your favorite corner store philosopher trying to figure out life one conundrum at a time. And no, it's not what you think. This is just how I dress. So today we're going to be talking about a blog post by a PhD holder about, <laughs> uh, about the value of storytelling. And um, I guess he gets into some psychological studies. So, you know, it's going to be fun. And then the other one is Plato's Symposium. Which is um, the correct way to pronounce it? Yeah, the correct way, the, the original way to pronounce it, <laughs> and uh, it's a Socratic dialogue about love, really. So uh, let's so let's get into the blog posts and, and such. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, he is the researcher, I think, that wrote the blog post, but also uh, all the studies mentioned within it are by him, and so he has a vested interest in the in the topic. I'm going to read just the, the title of the blog post so you can look it up if you wish. How Stories Change the Brain. I don't know if we should call this a blog post. It's just a post on... A blog. A magazine. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but it discusses how some studies done on stories um, using different psychological apparatus to, to you know, measure, measure different behavior and different physiological responses uh, bring up some... Maybe interesting, some would say not interesting results. Um, and so basically, well, first of all, we should mention that they tell a story of a father talking to the camera and behind him, his son is playing, his two-year-old son that has cancer. And Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy, yeah, calls him Wonder Boy. Uh, and the father knows that the son is going to die soon, but doesn't want to show distress to his son because his son is also happy just because he went through a round of, uh, of chemotherapy and for the first time he's feeling sort of, sort of comfortable. Um, and sort of the father has to battle between this, oh, my son is going to die soon and uh, he's happy right now, but I I'm going to be unhappy when he dies. Anyway, so it it's it's that battle and he finally concludes that, you know, he needs to be there for him right now and, and be there in the moment and be strong. And I think it doesn't really matter that that's the story that they told. The, the point mainly is that is the story structure and many times over the the blog post they mention the dramatic arc i think which you're you know we're all taught in school the rising action the exposition rising action climax uh falling action and denouement and well let me tell you about the results so <clears throat> first of all throughout people who hear the story the there are chemicals that are released in the brain like oxytocin and uh cortisol and so cortisol <clears throat> supposedly for distress and oxytocin for uh you know i don't know communal living and and morality and you know wanting to help and so i, I don't know if i would say it's interesting but it, you know it, it just proves what we already know i guess how you is how you would describe it is that yeah yeah again there's a, there's a difference between interesting and surprising psychology is interesting but it's rarely surprising mm. in fact whenever a psychologist if you can imagine a new discovery that really goes against an intuition we have, the first ref reflex we're going to have is, okay, when is this going to be verified? When is this going to be replicated? How's you're not going to see? Let's take a let's take a pretty pretty strong assumption about the world. I don't know. People who grow up with authoritarian parents have bad bad outcomes in life. Okay, bad parenting leads to bad out outcomes in life. Right. If a study comes out and it actually measures, it, it controls for people's biases with this newfound uh, thing, right? Or they, they go through hypnotherapy and then they, they forget the negative memory of the, the parent, which was actually their bias. And suddenly their memories don't affect them, but the way they were raised is still inherent in them, right? And then you see that they have much better outcomes that people, than people with good parenting, right? My first instinct would be, okay, well, let's wait, let's give it 10 years and see what other psychologists say, because this is not convincing. But when a study like this comes in and says, okay, storytelling, especially well-structured stories that manipulate emotion, has incidence on our physiology and uh, our, like reactions in our brain and our emotions, okay? That's cool. Again, interesting, but not surprising, which is most of psychology for me. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Well, <clears throat> I'm not going to, you know, engage too deeply with what you just brought up, but... That's a conversation. I That's think, how it works, though. 
I think that, um, you know, for, for the authoritarian versus authoritative parenting styles, what psychology does, you know, you say good parenting versus bad parenting, but that's, you know, that's proof that what good parenting is versus what bad parenting is. And it sort of is, it, it is common sense that you shouldn't, you know, be strict without comfort and be, uh, but people have different styles and people come to truly, truly believe like, well, you, you, t you say this, you're like, oh, sometimes you, well, most of the time you don't tell the child the reason for what you're imposing on him. And that's the best way to, to do it because you won't be able to explain the reason for it. But that's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is... Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But the it's, thing it's, is... It's we... just outlining like, okay, it's in most people's intuition maybe, or maybe it isn't. Maybe something revolutionary comes. But if it's nothing else, it's outlining and proving what we already know, I guess. Yeah, certainly. And it's just, I think it's about objectivity. And it could be done with none of the... It doesn't have to be systemized as as strictly as psychology does it, right? You can just have a person overlooking objectively a few families with different parenting styles. And you look at people who were raised by authoritative parents, which simply means that they were there for the child, they acknowledged their feelings, and then they guided them through how to um, solve their problems. And also they took the time to, of course, explain the reason for every rule they're imposing, right? So, oh, you have to go to sleep at, 9 30 because sleep is extremely important for you to grow tall or big and strong <laughs> big and strong whatever now an authoritarian parent would just say you go to sleep at 9 30 because i said so yeah and if you had you know there are four parenting styles whatever you you had a i don't know eight families with two instances of each parenting style and you look at the children and you bring on a qualitative psychologist which is what writers are if you ask me well good writers like dostoevsky then you can just see these differences right the people with authoritative parenting which is the good the good one like <laughs> us are going to always look for the reason because the world is cause and effect right we're always going to look for a reason for why this is the best or in our relationships, we're always going to be, you know, saying stuff to others. And, you know, there are people who are very egg-headed, not, not, you know, not to toot my own horn, but egg-headed about this, where it's just, no, 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 this is true because it needs to be true because I said so, right? Like, it's their truth and the actual reasoning behind it barely matters. And I, I can predict what kind of parents they had, because guess what? You follow the model of the parent. Well, I mean... I completely disagree. That that just the the whole point of science is first of all excluding the bias of the researcher. If you went in into it with a theory that's false that you came up with for some reason, you would imprint that theory on the outcomes of your study, qualitative study on eight people. And to exclude the random variation because of other reasons in those families. What if the parents are authoritative but they're just really poor? And, and, you know, for other reasons, for bullying at school or for uh, material needs, the, the child has bad outcomes, not because of authoritative or authoritarian parenting, but just because of other things. The point of science is we have so many, like so many families. We have, we, we've studied, you know, a thousand families, 250 uh, of, of each style. And then we can draw a probabilistic conclusion that probably the like the, the good parenting style is authoritative okay uh, uh you know <laughs> there's no way this is uh our ongoing debate on the relevance of psychology but my pro my main problem but I mean, is right now it's even worse no because you're, you're just i don't know denying science no i'm not denying science i'm i just hate categories right this is what qualitative psychologists can get around this is the beauty of them right they can they can notice that uh the children had a you know poorer parents or whatever when you when you categorize stuff it's like okay well this study is going to look at this right and they didn't look at socioeconomic status for for this specific study for example and it only associates these outcomes to these outcomes the beauty of qualitative psychology and it's not non-restrictive and it's simply descriptive right 
Now, now the beauty with that specifically is it, it doesn't create categories. It simply notices things. The problem with categories is after that, right, after you've created your little categories, you have to go and seek exceptions to them. For example, in collectivistic uh, structures or societies, authoritative parents doesn't have as many good outcomes oh, okay. and authoritarian parenting doesn't have as many bad outcomes and then blah, blah, blah. Well, or you could just go on with life and see, okay, Asian parents are stricter, but their children are not only happier, but also more performing. And then Eastern parents are less strict and more loose. And it even gets to, I'm sure, you know, here being in Canada, we've, we've seen a lot of permissive parenting and we know how that ends up. So in any case, I think, I think the biggest criticism to anyone who uh, objects to psychology and uh, Tamler from Very Bad Wizards, it's one of the big, biggest criticisms against him as well. You know, great minds think alike, but um, it's, it's the fact that, yeah, the problem with my argument that I know something about the human nature through observing it is that I also am aware of the psychological studies, right? So now it's like, well, how much of it am I assuming that it's inherent? And you know, the truest test would be the following. And I, I wanted to do this for the purpose of my book to prove to everyone that it's, it's, it's not that deep, right? I, I, I do a lot of deep research on, onto how the, um, the psychological field, what it's interested in right now. And for the next five years, what they're going to like, what are the questions they're going to be asking? And I make predictions about every, every single one of these things and check back in five years. Uh -huh. I might just do that. I mean, I, I will do that just because it's important for me to prove that it's it's really not that deep. It's not, you know, life is just life. Humans are just humans. Observing systematically, sure, yeah. Theoretically, it avoids biases, but then it creates categories that you put people into and suddenly you don't know how to act. You know, we, we, um, we learned in child psychology that authoritative parents are the best, right? But then, then you learn that it's, everything is also an interaction of the environment, the child's temperament, which is genetically determined and completely random. The yeah well again the yeah behavior they're, they're, of the parents behavior of the child right yeah yeah the the situation sure yeah yeah and so when you have a child that is like let's say at the most difficult right the the the, the most difficult they can be and you you give them good parents right patient explain everything blah 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 but the child still disobeys like some people are actually meant for you know, those, those army, like, re, society reintegration camps. Like, really. Like, somebody needs to break them, wake them up at 5, 5.15 and make them do a thousand push-ups. Like, that is just how life works, right? And I do think, well, are we getting back to that article? Um, Eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do think that... I mean, people, people listening like, to this aren't interested in the article, I think. If, if you listen <laughs> to this, you're interested in us, so... I guess, hopefully. So, ideally... You take someone like Dostoevsky, I don't, I don't know if in your head you have someone who simply understands people. Like, the value of a good psychologist. Who, oh, I mean, for, for sure, Dostoevsky, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like, oh, if, but in if my you life? leave him aside, yeah, mm -hmm. like, a, a real person that exists today, and that might even be the clinical psychologists you're following. But I would argue that's not because they've read research, that's because they've spent the last 30 years talking to people. I, and I would agree, yeah. Making predictions about them. Seeing if they're wrong or right. The problem with a good um, laboratory psychologist, what are those? Researcher. Uh, researchers. Thank you. Is that? Thank you, my brain. <laughs> is that they? Which you are. <laughs> no, no, but That's you said fine. it before. I, I know, said I know, it. Okay, okay. Which you also. Yeah, which are. I also am. I'm your dictionary. You're my id or whatever. Super ego. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that one. So. Oh no, I am the id, and you're actually. The <laughs> so yeah. And, um, you know, you, you take these people, they get into this categorical thinking of, well, extroversion is this clinical definition and this working concept. And then you go out in the real world and it's so much more, it's so diversified, people's genetics affected, blah, blah, blah. And sure, I can just not ever restrict my thinking to those categorical things that are outlined in the research, but they can do that. They can read faulty research. They can fill their brains with that. They can make predictions and then take a year to, to see if they pay off. I also, I also think this is why marketing is so um, fascinating in psychology, right? You make one change, right? Change one term to a more assertive term. And then you see, well, okay, I'm, I'm in the market of um, 
let's say young men struggling with being overweight. I've changed I've changed um, bad to catastrophic when I'm talking about health future health outcomes, right? I've ch- in my website I've changed that to that. How does my income grow? And then you see, oh, okay, being assertive with these people instantly, like this. Psych- psychology is just too too slow for me. That's one of the reasons too. Yeah, I understand, and uh, I agree with a lot of your criticisms, I guess. Uh, and here, let me put words in your mouth. Um, <laughs> are, are you saying? Are you saying? Uh, would you agree with with me when I say that you know science can also be a, a sort of defense mechanism for people that aren't aren't smart enough or don't have enough experience to actually make statements and make some predictions at, at least and they can just read the science have done nothing but you know absorb other other people's experience because the researchers that did the, the study originally probably have a little bit of what you're talking about the spirit of i have intuitions about human nature i'm doing this experiment because i i have this intuition and they find positive results and then some people that don't have these intuitions can just cheat right and and not have to go through the process of proving it and, and be, be like, okay, here are the results. S- sort of like that, right? And, and, I, agree, and yeah. I agree with you. Um, but also my thing is, well, I don't know. this. So, so the distinction is between qualitative and quantitative psychologists, right? Yeah, but the thing is, if, if you are a qualitatively oriented psychologist and you also integrate it into your activities and you, you don't shy away from that type of stuff, right? Look, the things that I can discover in a year about human nature, and of course, putting them into a text and shipping it to an official journal will be an impossibility considering the restrictive nature of my experience, right? I don't have a thousand participant meta-analysis, right? But if you give psychology, right, 100 researchers, a million dollars in budget, and you say, okay, we need to see the incidence of AI on extroversion and introversion, how people who are more able with AI, right, the the main prediction would be, oh, they're probably more introverted because now a lot of the things that uh, they used to have to do can be done for them. Something like that, whatever, doesn't matter. If you give me a year for me, I will come to 10 times the conclusions that, that could be useful to my life. This is what I mean, right? I go out, I see out there, I, I contact uh, parents of young children that I know, I interview them and I see, okay, uh, Billy has been sitting on his iPad a lot more, he doesn't have many friends, blah, blah, blah. Then you look at past generations, blah, 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 right? Um, you, I don't know, you can be a tutor in school, you can get that experience. And for my country, for the people that I'm interested in, for, let's say I'm a marketer and I have to market a new AI-powered tool for learning for children. I can arrive at so many conclusions and I can test them, right? Okay, uh, after two months, I have a pretty good prediction about how to phrase this thing. Parents are worried about their children not having friends. I will include a, you know, a web chat where they can also interact with friends, blah, blah, blah. Done. Okay, that failed. Restart. Boom, boom, boom. In a year, I can get much farther than they can with their RC, you know, randomized control trials and this and that and ethics committees. And all I'm saying is, look, I, I know you, you'll agree with this, but as a principle, like psychology, the field that studies human nature systematically, very important, right? But for whom? And, and this is like, right now, it's like, I think neuropsychology. We're, right now, we're associating brain areas, activation, with certain behaviors or certain um, states of mind or environments, right? Why? And the only answer can be, we're building up a bank for when Elon comes out with the Neuralink, okay, we can, we can simulate these brain areas, or when a future AI can do this or that, or it's much easier to, let's say, somebody have, has brain damage, it's much easier to identify, okay, this is probably going to be their problems, and this is probably how we fix it, right? But that's like, what, brain damage, like 1% of the population? How How is neuropsychology so big? And why are we just just associating brain areas to behaviors? Why? Like, ultimately, for you and me, how does this affect us? And this is, we're building up to a future. And all I'm saying is, for the next 20 years, I do not see how psychology can be useful to the average person. What is much more useful is you going out there 
and experiencing life, making predictions about life, realizing why and when you're wrong, and putting those things into your reflexes. This is how you become a people's person. And a people's person is much more valuable to themselves than a psychologist is. A psychologist may be more valuable to humanity, and by which I mean, not like the average Joe just reading a psych article and being like, you know what? Um, it is better to be an authoritative parent. Right. I am going to be yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Or, <laughs> you know what? Outgroup people do make me more angry and I should, uh, you know, Fix take that. care of my racism, racism bias. Like, yeah, I could have told you that. Yeah, yeah. So I, ju I just think it should be consumed in moderation like everything else. It's like, well, this is fun. Okay, right. This is a pretty fun pop article. But how about I go out in the world and I make my predictions about life? Yeah. And and I, I feel like what you're saying also is is a lot more moderate than the way you speak about it sometimes. It's just that, look, it's not for you. That's for sure. You're, like, you're not going to be a psychologist. You're going to, if you want to make claims about human nature and try to predict some things, you can do that. And then psychologists are going to take the time to, to study it where you don't care to study it because you know it's true. <clears throat> and look, I, I, I thought about this. Like, I think there's definitely, I have a lot of respect. This is the way I imagine it in my head to like a couple hundred years ago when science wasn't around and imagine like a good priest you know just a guy that talks to to you know like 20 uh distressed and traumatized people a day and tries to help them like that guy gathers so much wisdom and 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 by the end of his life he's like the best psychologist better than any psychologist uh, you know that just finished their phd just cuz he knows so much about human nature and there's definitely like a lot to be admired in that. In Brothers Karamazov, there there's a character like that exactly, yeah. where he's like full of wisdom and he sees through you, and he's a priest. So yeah, cool. I'm gonna read that soon. I have to. Um, it, but then at the same time, like imagine that life a couple hundred years ago, they didn't have science, and some people went down the path of wisdom, just you know the wrong way, and had an image of of the world as like an evil place. Or when you don't base yourself in in truth in the sense that it, it's some kind of truth that's verifiable through science or i don't know you know that that priest could base himself off the fact that it's not really relevant i don't think it's a good argument but i think there's something to what i'm saying you know he he bases his philosophy off the fact that the earth is in the middle of the universe and the sun turns around around us and just some things that are plain false you know you, you also need some verification and the reason I brought up that the, the priest could have gone, you know, the wrong way and, and started to conceptualize things wrong is, is that th there also needs to be a way to keep people accountable and, you know, prove to people like this prophet that you're that you're looking at is a false prophet. He's not saying the truth. He seems wise and maybe he's right about one third of what he's saying. And he seems very wise to you because it hits a chord in you. But look, science says otherwise. Don't follow this guy, even though he, he seems wise. And he succeeds in the world. Right. But then now, now I'm thinking, like, I agree, right? The main problem with people like me, Dostoevsky, you know, continue the list, is <laughs> biases, right? Right. And it's, and that, that can definitely happen with a bigger ego. And ultimately, I'd like to think that, look, if I'm right about something being useful to some sort of people, right? Like, oh, for introverts, I would say slow exposure to humans is good in the long term how many times does do i have to be proven wrong to change my thesis right that's the big question i think because ultimately that's what it is right um how many people had to hear galileo types saying that the the earth is in the center of the universe before they they change their stuff right that's a, that's a good question but, but definitely a mix of things and i think also the the as I said earlier, a lot of people use science sort of as a defense mechanism for, for their lack of wisdom. Wisdom is what it is, right? Like you can have knowledge, intellectual prowess, you know, move through, through arguments and no data while being oblivious about human nature. Yeah, of course. It's like those scientists, right? And you say wisdom, it can just be intelligence, right? Intelligence is the actual implementation of the knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge and you can be like a developed scientist who can quote any paper, know any meta recent meta-analysis, but when you see them communicating with people, they're not great, so... It's also about, you know, the data is there so that you can link it with real life 
events and and this is sort of like i don't know i wouldn't say my frustration but my discontentment with my current psychology education is that like i'm learning all these theories i know them okay i have them in in my head if you quiz me about them I'll, i can tell you what the research is now what found yeah now what yeah. but the thing is i'm not experienced enough to to have encountered situations where i may apply them you you see psychologists talk about you know their clients and saying oh look how this theory applies and it, it is possible but it it takes both it definitely takes experience and and again on your knowledge. scale on your scale my problem is it's too slow because ultimately yeah. like you know how they used to as soon as you turn 15 they put a, a rake in your hand and you're a farmer now yeah right yeah. and whatever fi- find out out stuff and i'm sure like if you've submerged yourself into something very difficult right like have you started coding yeah the difference between you and 30 days of coding is is monumental this was the thing for me right I needed to make a website for Thinking Bros. I was like, oh, this complex web design, blah, blah. Did it. We now have a website and I know how to make a website. Like, it's it's not deep. It took me maybe two days. So ultimately, the thing that I'm saying is, if there were a system where you could be put in with patients every day, six patients, whatever, for a year, like fake patients, they hire actors and... <laughs> All psychology is is a one-year intensive program where the actors exhibit very real scenarios that you will, you will be faced with. After a year, you will be, be better than anyone with a bachelor's in psychology. That's, I can guarantee. Yeah, yeah. Right? The problem with that is, of course, resources, right? How much would it take for six actors a day for a year for you, right? Like <laughs> yeah, a million yeah. dollars? So Yeah, and I think... Yeah. As as flawed as as you would say it is and I would agree for for some of it that's what you know educate like university education tries to be. That that that's the goal, right? The goal is mixing theory and practice especially when you get to the professional level, right? When when your formation when your education education is for for them to put you out into the working force. So we went from yeah, the, the flaws <laughs> with psychology to the flaws with education and the, yeah, that's all obvious. And again, one thing, last thing I would like to say, like you say, well, you say, I, I outlined that my main problem with people like me is biases. Well, the thing is, I feel like it happens in science as well. Like they're controlled by, by societal, you know, expectations of what science should research. Right. But also, but also taboos, right? I, I've thought about the following. There is no conclusive evidence about who is a better driver, women or men. Mm. If scientists were to once find like a conclusive study a good definition of what a good driver is if they were to find that men are better drivers right for real do you think that would ever see the the light of day like that study like right how much trouble do you could you get into by publishing the truth Mm. and um i think jordan peterson mentioned a, a book about i think female desire as studied by google engineers or something where they compiled Google searches for romantic themed stuff by millions of women. And they wrote a book, like Google engineers wrote a book about this. And even he says, oh, it's a, it's very stereotype inducing, something like that. Like probably not those things, but problematic in a certain way. But he says, oh, but they're engineers, they're data focused, they don't know better. Well, I, I wish that wasn't a thing, right? I wish I wish you couldn't say, Oh, uh, these people only care about the truth. They don't care about people's feelings. Like, that's not a problem. I see. Are you talking about, like, you know, uh, as soon as you do science, you're not an independent scientist. You're overlooked by some institution. Of course, of course, and- the money's coming in from, well, you know. Right? Uh, well. You know. <laughs> well, yeah. Conclusion, get rich, do your own studies, unbiased. I- I've been thinking about this. this. <laughs> it, when, when I'm a multi-billionaire, I'm going to do, like, I'm going to, make a committee with like smart people that are in this in the science realm and i respect and they know the biases they have i'm gonna put them all and i'm gonna say look guys i don't care about how much this costs how can we optimize the perfect study that you know those little questions in uh, psych classes like oh what were the limitations it has no limitations <laughs> that, that's that's my goal uh, first of all i don't think that's entirely possible you know you can reduce them and also I think the best way of reducing biases, biases, because I, I think that, you know, you have a lot of confidence in, oh, I know my biases and 
being conscious of them, I can fix them. But I think some still persist. And the best way of doing it is integrated in, in what you just said, because I think the best way to do it is to have people with uh, other biases, or I guess, that don't have yours and can see through it and, and are smart. And just a bunch of different people, different biases, and everyone checks each other. That's what the scientific community is supposed to be. But yeah. Yeah, it's what, yeah, it's what it's supposed to be. But I think on an individual level, I definitely agree that the fastest way to fix this, right? Like three years of psychology research versus one year of being a person, a smart person. If you had to change one thing to maximize your chances against those three years of research psychology, it would be to associate yourself with another person that has a similar goal of finding out more about humans and competing with, well, not competing, but of course, bouncing off your biases off of them and uh, correcting theirs. So that was the article. <laughs> All that to say... Uh, no, but realistically, yeah. what the article was is simply, okay, when we formulate a compelling story about a child with cancer, people will donate more of what they don't have to donate, which, so they were offered money for two hours of their blood being drawn and them being exposed to the story and asked questions. And the blood was drawn for oxytocin levels and uh, cortisol levels. And they were given money to, as a compensation for that. And at the end, they were given the chance to donate to a cancer charity. And essentially, when the story was unclear and didn't cause emotional involvement... Yeah, it didn't have the structure of rising action or whatever. It's just them going to the zoo. Yeah, it, um, it didn't motivate people to, to give. So, you know... Stories are powerful. This is why this is why I say that rap has caused more damage to the you know. But this is why I say that uh, why do I say oh yeah, actually I do say this, yeah. Uh, that pe people like Dostoevsky and um, other great writers throughout time have had as much influence, if not more, on society than philosophers have had. This is the truth. I think my two points with bringing this up was one that I think it helps me understand, you know, art and, and novels. Because I think in the past, we, we've been too rational and we were like, novel, like fiction. What, what the hell is the point of fiction? It didn't happen, you know? But it, it causes emotions in you and it sort of, it can teach you about the, it's not something that actually happened in the world and it's not something that you will live through. But the meta, meta structure of the story is always true. You know, it, it's human nature. Uh, and it makes you feel emotions, and it, it helps you understand human nature. So I heard a good point about this the, the other day. It was um, before writing ever existed, the way generational knowledge was conveyed was through stories around a campfire. Yeah. So it's really like in our, in our brains. And, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And my second point was, uh, I think, I guess, with, with marketing, you know, you can, you can harness, harness this power in an ad for a product you can go through the hero's journey, you know, and, oh, you have this problem, rising action, and then climax, that's the solution, and then, man, denouement. Anyway, yeah, those are, those are the only yeah, two Buy the fitness program. Buy the fitness program. But yeah, 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 100%. The, my, my misunderstanding of art as a rational person, the, the only thing people had to do, the, you know, the multiple people that were trying to sway me across the year, just holding me back, in chains, ripping my shirt, <laughs> sweaty, anyway, um, is they had to tie it back to emotion. Everyone had to say, look, you're, instead of manipulating logic, you're manipulating emotion. Oh. Yeah, but at the, same, sense, at the same time, it is a question of living through it to, to, yeah, to change good, your mind. Good imagery. Okay, yeah, I agree. Living but through it in the sense that you read Dostoevsky and then you were like, oh, he's smarter than everyone. Yeah, but the thing is, my my impression of Dostoevsky isn't like oh this guy made me cry it was during the Phil episode or no some some other time where I said you know Dostoevsky almost made me cry and uh someone was like yeah I know he's really good at causing emotion I was like no 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 it's because I know I'll never be as smart as him oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no it was in my discussion with someone someone else it wasn't on the podcast and they, they misunderstood that and I guess I don't know it's a hybrid of the two right where like I lived through it where I was moved but in a way where he's such a genius at the, at the emotion thing and at the logic thing that I had to like access it through that realm. So, yeah. Okay. Are we moving on? Yeah. Now that we've done this first segment on about the which we extensively discussed, yeah, about the article, the article we ex to... extensively discussed storytelling and S storytelling. 
story. Now let's get to a story, actually. So in the same vein, this is a story. Um, you want to give background on the symposium? Yeah, just, you know, Socratic dialogue, people sitting around, they were giving an, a eulogy, which is just an expose of, of what they think love is. There were some bad, well, obviously, anyone but Socrates had a bad take on it, but uh, they, they were talking about ancient late legends, like um, humans had two of everything at the beginning. They were a huge ball with four legs, two heads, and then they were, as a punishment, I think, they were separated in two, and our goal is to reunite with our soulmates, to, to regain the original form of the human and uh, combine what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, well, you didn't that's read before, this. That's, that's before, before what I read, right? And then Socrates okay. is like, comes around at the end of the dialogue, which is the part we read. And he's like, well, guys, 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 guys. Guys, guys, guys. No, but what he says first... It's the, so the guy, funny. It's so funny. I mean, it makes me want to read Socrates, because it's also... Yeah. I don't think I... The most subtle sarcasm... I mean, as far as sarcasm goes, this is like a, goes... A, it's like a 8 or 9 out of 10 subtlety, which is really cool. The, the guy finishes his speech about love about the nature of love and socrates says to his to his friend or, or the person next to him he says wow why did you put me after this guy he, the the speech he just made i i'm i'm lost for words i can't say anything more and i think you know having his reputation the friend is like yeah okay it may have moved you and it may be good but you're socrates you're not lost for words and then socrates is like eh, it's just so amazing. He like he can he can talk in this way and just not say the truth, and uh, and you know it moves me so much. And he's can, just can like, you, can you read the passage because it's pretty genius. I mean, it's pretty genius. Yeah, I think this is a good one. So quote, but in fact, this is Socrates speaking. Quote, but in fact, it seems that isn't uh, it seems that isn't the right way of praising something. Instead, you should claim that your subject has the greatest and finest possible qualities. Whether it really does or not, and if what you say isn't true, it doesn't matter very much. What was proposed, it seems, was that each of us should give the appearance of praising love, not that we should actually do so. So I, I guess he's just praising really hard the persuasiveness of his speech and saying, yeah, it's all complete rubbish, but it's so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so he, he was saying, wow, I, I am lost for words. I thought we were telling the truth, but your thing moved me a lot and you, you were lying and everything and nothing in it was true, but wow, that was genius. And so, yeah, essentially he refutes everything that came before him um, through this little sarcastic remark. And then, in fact, he does go through a story with... Uh, diatoma. Diatoma, which is like a stranger from another village, right? The, the, the girl that goes to the other school that you for sure know. <laughs> and uh, he, she, she, you know mysteriously speaks exactly like Socrates and has the exact same um, Socratic dialogue format. So one one may wonder if this is merely his thoughts and he needed this story to convey it in a more persuasive manner, which, where he's just the victim of, of her wisdom as well, right? He's just, oh, I'm learning this all from Diotima. Let me, you know, I learned this all from her. So let me convey it upon you guys and see what you guys think. This is not my thoughts. <laughs> what, what's the what's the point of that? Is that because it's uh, is it it's very not, smart? Very smart. It, it's smart, but is it um, fake humbleness in the sense that everyone knows this is Socrates, or is it uh, let me sneak it to you? Like I won't say it. You think I'm arrogant and 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 uh, you know snobby, so I'll sneak it to you in this way. I learned this from something. I'm you. Yeah, uh, I think it's both. Socrates it does have a lot of instances of fake humbleness. The thing is, I, I don't like it when people say like he's fake humble. I, I think that he truly believed that he knew nothing. I know, I know, but he, he sometimes slips up. And it's also, it may be Plato and, and stuff, but he, he slips up into, a lot of the times he says, I actually have absolutely no opinions of what I believe something is. And then when asked about something, he will give kind of a de definition, especially in the Republic. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I agree. I didn't like it as well at the beginning, but you can hear how, you know, a true humble man who's okay with um, being like the most intelligent person in the room wouldn't have to engage in sarcasm like this, right? The, this is degrading to anyone who understands how, how social dynamics work, mm -hmm. right? You, you can't really, 
you know, give a speech you're proud of at a banquet you were invited to, and then someone says, oh, wow, that was marvelous. I mean, you know, it was complete fiction, and, you, you know, you didn't give one true fact about love, but that was awesome. And you just sit there, can't do anything. Like, it's degrading. So I do think there's a lot of ego involved, and whereas there's ego, there's also, um, you know, bias and, uh, what, what did we say? Oh, humble, oh, fake humbleness. But in any case... What, Humility. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing about diatoma is... Diatoma? You know, diatoma is what, what, how Socrates is portrayed in that story that he tells. And he's portrayed as... Um, you know you know when you you set up half a ping pong... Uh, table? Table to, to the words a wall. And so you bounce it off the wall so you have a player to play with. It, yeah, that's, isn't that's that... That's how Socratic dialogue... Yeah. works sometimes yeah yeah right and and she's socrates yeah she's the socrates of the story and he's the anaxagoras like um <laughs> you being asked like do you think love is a thing or not a thing and he's like hmm a thing right like that's all his contribution yeah, yeah. to the dialogue so you have to understand like there there was no diatoma or diotima i think but hey whatever <laughs> As, as a Socratic expert. Of so, okay, let, let me try to... Summarize, yeah. Summarize what they say. So, a big speech on love and love as this beautiful and good thing. And then Socrates goes... I think he begins not in the story. He begins as himself and just starts asking questions to, uh, to the speaker. He says, is love love of something or nothing? And then the guy is forced to say, yes, love is love of something, not nothing. And sort of conflates love and desire like uses them sort of interchangeably or says that love comes accompanied with desire at least uh, and says okay well then if if you desire something if if you desire uh something then you don't have it right if you desire riches then you you don't have riches which was a sticking point for me because you can desire something and and have it but the way he says it is that if, if, let's say I'm rich, and I say I'm rich and I desire riches, what I desire is the maintaining of riches throughout time, so in the future. But whatever. Okay, so when you desire something, you want it, and you don't have it. You don't have the riches in the future, and you want them. And, and then he says, okay, very good. Uh, but, you know, you, you love beauty, right? And you love good. Yes, yes, Socrates, I love beauty and I love good. Then it's love of beauty and of good, which means that love doesn't have beauty and doesn't have good. So love it, it is not good or beautiful and love can't be a god because gods are beautiful and good. Yeah. But then also, of course, when we get to the dio... I'm going to look it up. Yeah, diatoma, I think. part. Uh, it's, it's on the top right of the page, whenever there's a dialogue. Agathon, but... No, oh, diatoma. Okay, but it's a little bit later on, but... Oh, you're right. Diotima. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Diotima basically comes to the conclusion that love is something between gods and humans. And again, Spirit. now, it's, it's personified from the very beginning, which I don't know the usefulness of. It's like, does love desire? Well, wait, wait, wait. Love is kind of a an emotion that I feel. What do you mean does love desire? Do I desire in love? Or do I want something I don't have through love? Or can love desire? The, the, the logic... Uh, I, I, I sort of don't like it when Socrates... You know, a, a lot of it is like very technical and based on terms. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, does justice punish? Like, I, I, I don't know. I am just and I punish? I don't know. Like, Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of like, okay... If you say it that way, technically it's right. I feel like definition. Yeah, I feel like definitions. Well, technically, <laughs> I feel like that's Socrates. Socrates is a is a Discord mod. Um, yeah. I feel like definitions of things like that are more are less technical and more like, oh, I feel like this is this is what it is. But they, you know, if if you go with Socrates into these terms, then he's undeniably right. Anyway, but at the same time, it's it is undeniable. And also, I think you know, looking at added through our perspective love is a feeling but for them all these feelings and all these things are gods or at least spirits or something right the origin story according to diotima of love is that well let's not go into the details but ooh, yeah its parents in, are industriousness poor is that poverty no i think it's abundance and poverty abundance. or something like that in, no, probably not abundance industry just look it up <laughs> 
the child of whatever so <laughs> if okay let, let's try to summarize it and then let's try to make it useful for us right if i had to summarize it i'd say that love is when a person that cannot be by definition beautiful or good wants something that is good and beautiful right so love is usually the desire of good and beauty and that desire is specifically the desire to make it its own is that right i think so yeah in a way all right we think it's this because he's the son of resource and poverty love's situation is like this first of all he's always poor far from being sensitive and beautiful and it's commonly supposed he's tough with hardened skin without shoes or home he always sleeps rough on the ground with no bed lying in doorways and by roads in the open air sharing his mother's nature so poverty he always live in, lives in a state of need on the other hand taking after his father he schemes to get hold of beautiful and good things he's brave impetuous and intense a formidable hunter what that made me think of is I think we do conceptualize love as this, like, well, first of all, I was surprised when they say, when they said his, I conceptualize love as, as a woman, but maybe that's because I'm a man. Um, but, you know, as this delicate and, and beautiful thing, but the way Diotimus conceptualizes it, I guess Socrates, is that he's, he, like, he's a rough guy living on the road with no shoes and and ha having lived a rough life and that makes sense to me in the sense that i think love comes up most when you go through hard times right like the the proof of love and where where love shines is that despite all rationality and despite uh you know common sense you you stay with someone or you help someone in their time of need when it's really, really inconvenient for you. And that's what love is, right? And, and maybe that's a good conception of it as, as like rough and being able to survive through tough times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a reframing to do that. That this kind of, um, you know, spiritual view of love can help you go through. No, it wasn't that clear for me, but there's um, another passage that goes through kind of a, from young to old, the schema that you should take through w when you, you know, navigate love. And it's the following. So first, you'll, you're going to start with a basic love of the body. And then when you are, you know, the, you're interested by a lot of bodies. And, uh, <laughs> with, and with time, you're going to appreciate, you're going to learn to love only one. And you know, this is uh, Plato's theory of the forms. It gets into that. And it's actually a really useful metaphor to, to defeat this uh, love of variety. And it's, it's okay, let, let me introduce the theory of the forms first. So let's say every white thing in our universe is a sim simply a, a manifestation of the form of white, right? So let's say we can call it a god just for our purposes. So there's the god of the concept of white, okay? And everything in our world is a manifestation of it. It's not perfection. And you also can't really get a definition of it, right? Sure, we can get a light definition, but we don't really truly know what it is, right? And you can do that for a lot of uh, more complex things, right? Like uh, respect, right? Okay, this person respected someone else. Okay, but what, what does respect mean, really, at its core? What is the overarching principle? And it manifests itself in many ways. The, the whiteness of your AirPods is not perfectly white. It, reflect, it reflects some light in a way that you perceive it not as continuous but different. The fur of a rabbit has some dirt in it, so it's not perfectly white. Uh, respect manifests itself in many different ways through many different actions, but... It, you don't know it to its core, right? The, a tree is beautiful, but a painting can also be beautiful. But how, how different are those things? One is man-made, the other is nature-made. Well, although man-made means nature-made, but whatever. So essentially, there's these overarching principles of every manifestation in this world that, that aren't accessible to us. And that regroup, for example, the form, form of beauty can make anything beautiful, right? It regroups every manifestation of beauty on this earth. But when I would tell you 
what is the common point between, you know, a beautiful music and a tree, you would have a lot of trouble giving me an answer. So now with love, once you realize that you must view a single presentation of beauty as it is connected to the form of beauty, so you, or, or of good, realistically, because ultimately the conclusion was that love is love of good, good and beauty, and beauty is good, so whatever. So what it is, is that you should look at one body and see it as representative of the form of beauty, because every manifestation of it is. So now, when you see that every body is one and the same, right, this childish interest in a lot of bodies becomes irrational because they're all a representation of the same thing, which is the, the ultimate concept of beauty. I could relate to that, certainly, right? When you love abundance, which is a big problem in our society, right? When you concentrate on the features of, of one thing, one representation of that, it can help you so much just realize, look, it's everything else. Well, I'm, I'm, a defi I'm definitely very prone to saying, oh, everything else is the same thing, right? Like I'm, I'm the guy who says everything else is absolutely the same thing. But you have to realize it's like, um, for example, taking walks, right? I used to drive for two hours to Mountain X to experience this hike. But trees are just trees. The ground is just the ground. The view, it's all the same thing. It's all the same mountains, the same sky. It's just neurons in my brain firing in a different way. Why would I drive for two hours to do this new hike when I have a park right here that is all the same thing? And when you unlock that hop, right, of seeing a representation of beauty for the form of beauty, you can never get tired of it. For example, when I unlocked this particular thought of, look, I'm doing all this effort to make my walks entertaining and by changing up the environment, but I've forgotten that the walk isn't really about, well, it's sure, it's about the view, but it's also about my thoughts. It's also about exercise. It's also, and I'm getting all these things. And then when you want to talk about novelty, let's say around you at a reasonable radius, there are 10 hiking spots. Once you've explored them, now what? You go further? You waste more time to go? If you're not content with one, you're not going to be content with 10, and you're not going to be content with uh, 100. Right, that's the ultimate thing. Isn't the point in there, though, that you start with the love of one body, then, you know, you're interested in other bodies because they're beautiful, then you love two, and then you love all of them. But then, then you restrict it to one again because you understand that loving all is just loving the form of beauty, isn't it? Oh, in, in my mind, it was one body, two bodies, and all bodies then you realize that the beauty of the body doesn't like matters less and then you go to the mind i see maybe i read what i wanted to read <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense to me like if if you cannot be content with one partner if you cannot be content with one walking spot if you cannot be content with one thing that is really beautiful there is no reason that your hop to two will satisfy you Sure, At some sure. point, it will become three. And you can, you can love all of them. You can go into the reasonable radius of, of 10 spots equally and just like all of your walks everywhere. Right, right. but if, you, if you've acquired the power of loving one, yes, you can, you can go to 10 and be like, okay, well, this is my one. Of loving one? Yeah. One, one of the 10? No, that's not what I mean. Okay, okay, I yeah, mean yeah. that my, my one thing that I... I see all these 10 things as a representation of the form of beauty. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right. Now, for me, it creates a lot more inconveniences and there are other reasons to only have one thing, right? Like, there is one park that is 10 minutes away from here and learning to love exactly that park and never needing anything else is extremely valuable. So, this, this can help me see that, right? Okay, if it's beauty and views you're interested in, look at how the leaves move differently from the last time. And I know this is like a more a Buddhist uh, example. And, you know, in the modern world, you, you're, you're going to say that and they're going to be like, no, 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 I, I want to have the Instagrammable up from the mountain view with the, the fog and the, the sunrise. <laughs> it's all the same thing. It's, it really is. Like, 
on a deeper level. And if you don't understand that, you, you need to, you know, dig deeper. I, I wanted to ask you about this. Another thing is that she often talks about people being pregnant and, you know, men and men and women being pregnant, but not in the sense of, you know, a physical baby. But men can be pregnant with ideas, I guess. Is that accurate? Um, but how do you get pregnant with ideas? Is they it just... start? They start like that. I don't know. So you start pregnant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone starts off pregnant. Mm -hmm. I think when you're ready to to give birth is when you combine with someone else. Something like that. I I think it's about that. It's just the gestation time is different for everyone. Everyone's pregnant with something they can bring into the world. Yeah, it's like a, an event. Uh, it's it's an event causes the, the birth. birth, not not like time. So, yeah, and um, of course the ultimate love of good as you said, is to move up to loving knowledge, the, the true good, right? The, somebody's intelligence, what they can bring you to you um, knowledge-wise. And, and this is, it kind of describes the pathway people have, right? They're, they're young men interested in everybody, then they learn to love one person, and then after that, you, you have to realize that everybody's body is degrade, and bo like, both people in the couple have to realize, like, okay, this is about much more than that. This is about brains <laughs> so the physical brains the physical brains yeah so um she definitely describes it well and she describes it in a way where you know what to do right and with every form of beauty and with the love of everything you have to realize once you as you, as you said okay the difference between one two three and ten it doesn't exist the core principle is to understand what you're getting from it if if you think novelty brings more beauty to something that is supposed to be beautiful in itself i think i think you're misguided do you understand like okay this other girl has more value to me because she's novel like that oh, sure surely you'd agree with that but now i know you're a, you're a an anti-routine person where you would say okay i'm a pro novelty person i'm not an anti-routine person right I'm a pro also novelty person. Pro also novelty person. But the thing is, like, you're okay. So you have soccer, right? You think that you know sprinkling in volleyball and dipping your toe into other things is good. I don't think so. I I think if you've learned to love soccer and every new little element in it, and you truly look at it and you love it, then the variety you can have is just, you know, to see it in another light or. To, yeah, I don't know, try a new trick, everything like that. I, I do like remaining in the same system. So, anyway, we know is, that. You know, this is the same. Yeah, it's just whatever. So, I'm unfaithful. I'm faithful. You're unfaithful. It's, it's all good. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but, um, yeah, but the thing is, what, what if I love volleyball? No, but I think there's a, I think there's a difference, though. I think there's a difference between you because you wouldn't argue about that for, for like a romantic partner. So, there's a difference where we're discussing sports and a romantic partner. Yeah, yeah. Is there a difference between uh, parks and sports, though? Let's say two hiking spots are the corollary to soccer and volleyball. I can go to both and love both. And it's, it's no hassle in, in either way. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I do think it's, it's about contentment. It's about truly learning to love it for what it represents, not what it is. Because if you love it for what it is, what you it can get represents. tired of it. Yeah, you can get tired of it. What, what, really, what it like... Is. I take this to heart. I take the theory of the forms to heart. I understand it. Like when I go and for the park for me represents the beauty of nature, no leaf. Like I, I seriously, like this is no metaphorical stuff. This is no like every, like a leaf that is, blows a, leaf in the is a leaf, the blows in the wind blows in a different manner every time. And I could look at that, that same leaf, not even the whole forest, that same leaf every day and discover something new. Truly, truly, like on a deep level. Sometimes the sunset is going to be beautiful, right? I have the sun sunset pictures from the other day. Sometimes it's not going to be that beautiful, but the wind is going to be warm and whatever. And, and even, even in saying those things, I'm not even talking about the novelty of it. I'm saying every day there's something different because, because the world is, is cyclical and um, ever-changing. So that's that thing is sure in in some respects it's the same thing, but it's never the same thing. Heraclitus, what did he say? Uh, a man cannot step step into the same river twice because he is not the same man, and, and it is not, not the, the same, same river. river. Right? Like life, 
everything is a river, right? That that forest has always been different. And it, if I don't notice that, it just means that I haven't been paying enough attention. Sure. And I don't love it enough. That's the thing, right? If you're on your phone, I don't know, listening to some podcasts, absorbing those thoughts or, you know, distracting yourself with music and you walk through the same forest every day is going to be boring after a while. But if, if it's about you in the forest, that's what it is. And it's the same thing about faithfulness, right? If you're just kind of like using people to satisfy your, um, your momentary needs, well, after a while, they get boring because you, you haven't really dug deep enough. Okay. I'm, I guess what I would say is I don't see the, the problem with, let's say, for, for forests. I don't see an inherent problem with doing both. If the reason for doing both for going to both forests and walking in, in two different forests. So the reason is I'm striving for more. I can't get it at this one forest and I need more, 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 more. I, I'm going to walk here, go to this hike, go to another forest because I'm looking for nature. Then the problem is the nature is in front of you everywhere you go. Look. And I understand that. If I see the beauty in, uh, in, in sport and in, I don't know, sportsmanship, collaboration and everything in soccer and in volleyball i play both and i enjoy both deeply i don't see a problem with that if i if i also truly enjoy them now when it comes to a relationship there's a lot more reason to stay in one and so i don't see a problem with not exploring either right i i think it's good to to stay with one person obviously and you can get much much from it by looking at it looking at the same person through different things, trying new new experiences with the same person, trying... Yeah, but that's the thing. When you see it as exploration and as a, oh, I need some variety, I, I, I think you're misunderstanding what it's all about. I, I I'm just, not I, saying I see it as exploration, I need some vi variety. I'm just saying I do it because I see the beauty right, in both. Right, okay, so my thing is, okay, once you do learn to love one thing, why why would you need to? And I understand, like, as you said, sometimes there are outside factors that kind of... Um, require you to not need two things like a monogamous relationship okay but do you need for example more than this park which is a 10 minute walk away you're just like sacrificing convenience and i i, I do agree with the following like if you were to say that this park is actually two parks and i've and i've been juggling between two parks for my entire life so it's it's two yeah i the difference between one and two or 10 or 100 isn't like isn't a thing right it's not a, a physical thing i'm not saying one is very important it's just if you see the other stuff as oh i need a switch up i need an, i need variety that's the, where the problem comes in like they can be that, that's sort of exactly what i said right i said yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if your reason for doing two things is i need more 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 i need to explore i need to explore yeah. i don't see it then that's a problem but in the fact that you're doing two things there is no problem yeah, yeah, inherently. No, no. inherently there isn't a big difference between one and two, but that's the thing. Yeah, if forever now you've been uh, Tuesdays it's volleyball and Fridays it's soccer, okay. But what I'm saying is, you're if you say, "Oh, I'm tired of volleyball that I've been doing for a year. Let me try something new." I think you're shooting yourself in the leg because the same. If that pattern happened with that thing, it's not. It's just gonna happen with the other thing. Now, there's also a self exploration stage which. We shouldn't get to in this episode, right? But there's a certain point in life where... There's a lot of stuff we shouldn't shouldn't have gotten to in this episode that Very we did. true. Maybe we named the episode, we shouldn't have gotten into this. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, a lot, there's a period in life where everything I say doesn't apply when you're young, right? If your parents determined that soccer is for you and after 10 years, you can finally make your own decisions and you quit soccer and you try to find true beauty in something else, that's cool, but... Yeah, there's a, po a certain point in life. Look, one, one thing that sticks out for me is that the man who wants nothing always wins against the man who has everything. And that's what, who I aspire to be, right? So, thanks for listening. Okay. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a thank for, thanks for listening. So, okay, as, as far as practical applications go, you have to understand that every... <laughs> well, let, let, me, let me take over the podcast here. Everything is the same thing. So, if you... If, if that... You know, again, you, you might be with the wrong partner or something like that, right? That's very, very possible. But if the thing that is happening is boredom or lack of variety, then I think you're misunderstanding the whole system. If you found some, somebody you love and truly, you know, connect with, if boredom is the problem, you have to look at what it actually is, right? Because 
okay, you found a fun person at the beginning, and now you're bored of them. If you refine another fun person, why would that part pattern not happen again? Like, there is absolutely no reason you, you can give. And so what Diotima is saying is, okay, you found a beautiful person, now see them as a representation of the form of beauty and understand that everything is a representation of the form of beauty. So nothing will change. Nothing will ever change. So you found it, right? Like, there are things that aren't representations of the form of beauty, and if you were with that, that's fine. Don't, don't go with that. And then obviously the upgrade is to see the beauty that is knowledge and the mind and uh, the, the, the ultimate good that lives in that body. I, I see it like that. So again, there's a thin line between I'm bored and uh, something new is necessary, but I guess I can't say we found it. I, think we, I don't think we've definitively found it. So let's do the rating. Now. Now. Um, good idea. Good idea. Thank you. Um, I, I would... Okay, we say it at three. One, two, three, six. six. So good, dude. So good. Uh, so, yeah, that's Symposium. I'd say five. And then <laughs> the other thing... Well, we, we didn't, didn't talk about the what other we wanted, thing. Yeah, but, but it was a good discussion. <laughs> but it was a good discussion. So Yeah. So cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, that was love. And that was the deep flaws of science as presented by <laughs> Alex and Chris. Uh, if you, if you want to learn more, go on thinkerbros.com or contact us at thinkerbros at gmail.com. We read every piece of feedback. I was, I was Chris and I'll see you next week. <laughs> see ya.